Uh, I'll never forget the first time I used a GPS. Uh, I had just flown into Boston's Logan Airport, and I was renting a car, and I was going to head up to the Green Mountains of Vermont to a lake house where four friends were waiting for me. And so I'm talking to this lady behind the counter at the rental car uh, agency, the uh, right in the airport there, and she looks at me and she says, would you like a GPS in your car? And I said, no, that won't be necessary. Now, the reason I said, no, that won't be necessary is because I had no idea at the time what a GPS was, okay, this some years ago. And she explained to me what, what it was, and she said, you know, this is free. It's part of a promotional package we're doing. Now, I do understand free. So I said, yeah, give me one of them things. And so I had a GP if I hadn't had a GPS, I would still be looking for that lake house in Vermont. I don't know if you've ever driven, driven in, in New England before. How many of you have ever driven in the Boston area? I mean, it's nuts. I lived in Boston for a number of years, and they, they have a saying there that the roads are nothing but paved cow paths. And I, I believe him. You don't make right turns, you don't make left turns, you bear to the right or the left at the fork in the road. Or you go round and round the roundabout till you get to nine o'clock and then you exit. Nine o'clock, what does that have to do with driving, right? So it's, you know, it's serious business driving. And here, here I'm about to leave uh, the rental car agency and head into chaotic Boston and up to rural Vermont. Thank God for the GPS that guided me turn by turn by turn. Now, we're beginning a five-part series today called Turn by Turn. Turn by Turn, getting God's direction for everyday decisions. Giving, getting God's direction for everyday decisions. Wouldn't it be lovely to have a GPS for life's decisions? So you're, you're trying to decide right now, do you join that traveling soccer team or not? Or which college do you go to? Or, or do you buy a new car or hang with your used car? Or, you know, is it time to put grandma in a nursing home? Is it, uh, you know, are you going to take the job in St. Louis? I mean, just multitudes of decisions that we face every day. In fact, one online resource I read this past week suggests that every one of us makes in excess of 70 significant decisions every day. Now, whenever I come across facts like that, I have no idea where they came up with that data. How do they figure that out? But, but I believe that we make a lot of important decisions every day. Wouldn't it be nice to have a life GPS? Well, well we can have a, a life GPS, not a global positioning system. We could have a God positioning system because God offers to guide our lives. And in the course of this series, we're going to look at several ways in which God does that. Today, we're going to be considering the Bible as one of God's most important navigational resources. And I'm calling the Bible in today's sermon a roadmap for life. So if you've got your roadmap with you, would you turn with me to Psalm 119? Okay, Psalm 119. Now, if, if you have a print Bible, this is not a difficult chapter in the Bible to find because Psalms is smack dab right in the middle of your Bible. So just open it up to the middle. And Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. 1,189 chapters in the Bible. This is the longest one. So you can't miss it. And I want to tell you before we look at it, it is a, uh, a creative masterpiece. And let me tell you why I say that. Okay, this Psalm, 176 verses long, is divided into 22 groupings of eight verses apiece. And we're going to call the grouping stanzas because this is, is a poem. And here's, here's the genius of Psalm 119. 
Every one of the stanzas begins with another letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 stanzas, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So the first section of eight verses, the first stanza, all begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. Now, not only the first verse in that stanza, but every verse of the eight verses in that stanza begins with an Aleph. Second stanza, verses 9 through 16, all begin with the Hebrew letter Bet, B-E-T-H. In fact, it says this in some of your Bibles, has Bet over the top of the next eight verses. Next stanza all begins with a Gimel, and then a Dalet, and then on through the Hebrew alphabet, so that the last stanza of Psalm 119 begins, every verse in that stanza begins with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Just try to imagine writing a poem in English and doing something like this. I mean, it's, it's amazing. The, the other thing I find amazing and impressive about this psalm is that it, it revolves around one central theme. The theme of this psalm is the importance of God's word, the Bible. In fact, in fact the Bible is mentioned in 171 of the 176 verses in some way, shape, or form. Now, now, the psalmist never uses the word Bible. He uses eight different synonyms. Each synonym pops up about 20-some times to refer to God's word. So on occasion, he refers to it as God's law or God's statutes, God's precepts, his decrees, his commands, his word, his promises. Now, I don't have the time to explain what each of these expressions tell us about the Bible. I just want to make the overall point that the psalmist is really into God's book. I mean, this is where he goes to meet with God. This is how he gets direction for his life. He gets it from God's word. If your Bible's open to Psalm 119, look at the first verse. He says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless and who walk according to the law of the Lord. Law of the Lord, another word for Bible. The psalmist wants his ways, he wants his walk. He wants his daily decisions to be directed by God's word. Now, how does the Bible do that? Okay, practically speaking, when we're making decisions, do, do we just sort of open the Bible at random and out, out pops a verse that tells us what to do? Now, that's not how it works. So today we're going to learn how it is that the Bible informs our decision-making. So if you haven't taken the outline from your program yet, I encourage you to do that because this is going to be extremely helpful about a very practical matter, how we make decisions. How does the Bible help us make decisions? Way number one, it produces wisdom. It produces wisdom. Now, again, keep your Bible open to Psalm 119 because we're going to constantly refer to verses in this psalm. Drop down to verse 98. Okay, verse 98 says, Your commands, it's one of the words for God's word, for the Bible, your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes, another word for the Bible. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts, another word from the Bible. So if you're a person who marks up your Bible, just circle wiser, insight, understanding. How does the Bible guide our decisions? This is what it produces within us, wisdom, insight, and understanding. As we read and we encounter God's character, God's values. Constant exposure to the Bible makes us wise people. 
and wise people make wise decisions. Some years ago, I was wandering through a bookstore, and I came across a book with the title, The Best Question Ever. So being rather curious, I started leafing through the book because, you know, the back of the jacket, the book jacket, said that the author had discovered a question that he now uses with uh, every decision he makes. It's the best question ever. And I finally found the best question ever in the middle of the book. Here's the question. What is the wise thing to do? Now, I read that and I wasn't too impressed. Are you impressed? Okay, what is the, here's why I wasn't impressed. See, it doesn't help me to ask what's the wise thing to do unless I'm wise enough to know what the wise thing to do is. See, like if you're taking a multiple choice test, is the right answer A, B, C, or D? And you're trying to decide, and I lean over and I whisper to you, and I say, just choose the right thing. You say, well, you know, if I were smart enough to know the right thing, I, you know, that would be helpful. So if we're not wise enough to know what the wise thing to do is, it doesn't help if somebody says, just do the wise thing. Constant exposure to the Bible makes us wise people, and wise people make wise decisions. You get it? Good. So that's how it works. Let me tell you how it doesn't work. You know, the Bible is not a vending machine. It's not like, you, you know, you walk up and you stick your 75 cents into the vending machine and you pull the lever and out comes a Snickers bar. Okay, so you're faced with a big decision. You go to the, the Bible, you put in a few coins of prayer, and then you pull the lever by opening it and out pops the answer to your decision. No, it's not the way it works. Now, years ago, I've told you this before, years ago when we were trying to make the decision whether to come to this little town in Illinois, St. Charles, and start a church, we were pastoring out on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And friends of us who didn't want to see us go, they, they said they had a Bible verse for us. So they came over and they shared this verse, I think it was from the book of Psalms, that said, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. And they said, God's telling you to stay put, to dwell in the land here. I don't think that's how the Bible works. Yeah, how, how does it inform our decision-making? We read a little bit of the Bible every day, after day, after day, and we apply it to our lives, and over time, guess what? We become wise people. And wise people make, say it with me, wise decisions. Wise people make wise decisions decisions. Psalm 119 says this over and over again. Again, let's look at a few verses. Verse 66. Verse 66 says, teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I trust your commands, your word. Verse 104 says, I gain understanding from your precepts. So the Bible produces within us, circle these words, knowledge, good judgment, understanding. Let me ask you the question, are you spending time in the Bible every day? Okay, this is how you become a wise person who makes wise decisions. You know, this is why we designed a four-year read-through-the-Bible plan called Bible Savvy. We put it all together in a Bible Savvy journal. I hope if you're a regular attender here that you've picked up a copy of the Bible Savvy journal. And by the way, we're just about through the first 
four-month journal, so there's a new one coming out in the next couple of weeks. Make sure you get your next installment. And I know, I know that when we moved from the Gospel of Mark, one of the biographies of Jesus, to the book of Genesis, some of you stumbled a little bit because Genesis is a little harder to understand. Some weird stuff, find some weird stuff in Genesis yet? Yeah, some strange stuff. How do you apply that to your life? I would encourage you to stick with it. If you're a parent, keep reading it to your kids. It's a little bit every day. You don't have to come away with a stellar insight every day. You just have to saturate yourself in this book day after day after day. And as you apply its truth to your life, you become wise. Wise people make wise decisions. You know, I, I know a lot of people, Christ Community Church attenders included, who are not wise. You know, they don't have Bible savvy. Okay, they got business savvy. They know how to run a business and turn a profit. Or they, they got school savvy. They know how to take a test and get good grades, have a high GPA. Uh, they have golf savvy. They can hit a five iron from the fairway and land it within a few feet of the cup. You know, they got video game savvy, they got medical diagnosing savvy, they got coaching savvy, they got legal savvy, but they don't have Bible savvy. And truth of the matter is, I, I wouldn't go to them with a big decision in my life because they're just not wise. Now, on the other hand, I know some people who, although they are young or inexperienced, or maybe they don't have a college degree, they're very wise people because of the amount of time they spend in God's word. You know, two of those people who come to my mind when I say that, my daughter, Rachel, and her husband, Jameson. Now, back when they were uh, dating each other, uh, they came to us one day and they said, we'd like to ask permission to get married. Now, the reason they were asking permission is we had a family rule, and the family rule was uh, no wedding until college graduation. And so they were asking for permission to waive the rule. Now, here's one thing we knew about Jameson and Rachel. We, we knew that they spent time in God's word and they were wise. We had watched them make many wise decisions for kids their age. And so what we said to them was, this is your decision. Make it wisely. And so, so what did they do? Did Rachel run out and immediately begin shopping for dresses or Jameson book a reception hall? No, what they did is they began to pray about the decision. And then they lined up a bunch of interviews with people who had gotten married before finishing school to find out, well, how was it for you? And they, they got out a legal pad and they made a pro-con list of all the pluses and the minuses of this decision. Now, eventually, they decided to get married early. But we were certain when they pulled the trigger on that decision, it was a wise decision made by a very wise young couple. Let me tell you, moms and dads, the thing you want for your kids more than anything else you want them to be wise. You know, uh, sports savvy, musical savvy, school savvy, they all got their place. But if your kids grow up to be wise and so make good decisions, it will give you great joy. And if they don't grow up to be wise and make lousy decisions, it will break your heart. This, this is why we keep saying, hey, if you got kids, get them into the Bible. Read it not only for your own benefit, but read it as a family if you're a parent. Let us help you. Let us partner with you. Bring your child to Epic if they're a grade schooler in the middle of the week. Get them here consistently to Kids World four weekends out of four every month. 
Get them to Genesis if they're, if they're in middle school. Get them to a house group if they're in high school where they'll be exposed to God's word because constant exposure to God's word will make them wise. And wise people make wise decisions. Wise people make wise decisions. Let me tell you the second way that God's word directs our decision making. Number two, God's word prevents sin. God's word prevents sin. And once again, this is a repeating theme in Psalm 119. Look, look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Drop down a couple of verses. Verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Go all the way over, turn a page or two to verse 104. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Drop down to verse 133. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. I mean, you get the idea from these verses. As we're driving down the road of decision-making, the Bible helps us avoid accidents. Uh, just recently, I borrowed a van from my nephew. I had a bunch of family members to get to the airport, and so I needed extra uh, cargo space. And so by the time I had this sucker packed, I mean, it was top to bottom of the van. It was full with luggage and with people. And as we're backing out of my driveway, I can't see out the rear view mirror. So I'm somewhat nervous. And I, I, I backed out of the drive and across the street, and I backed into a car. And it, what made it worse, it, it was my car that was parked there. <laughs> yeah. And here's, here's the crazy thing about it. My, my nephew has a newer van, and it's got a video screen in it that shows you what's going on behind your car. But I paid no attention to the video screen. I paid no attention. Some, some of the decisions we make, listen, some of the decisions we make are accidents waiting to happen because we're not paying attention to the warnings of God's word. You know, the, the Bible, if we'll read and apply it to our lives, will prevent sin. It will prevent moral accidents. Now, not every decision we face is a moral decision. Okay, if you've been accepted at two different colleges and you're trying to decide, it's not like one is a righteous choice and one is a sinful choice. Okay, if you, you got an older car and you're wondering, do, you know, do I turn it in now or do I try to squeeze a few thousand miles more out of it? Okay, there, there, there's, not, there's not like a right and a wrong in a moral sense. There's, there's not a good versus evil decision going on here. However, now listen. There are moral dimensions to many of the decisions we make. And some of us don't know what those moral dimensions are because of our neglect of God's word, which prevents sin, which prevents moral mishap. Let me give you some examples of, of what I'm talking about. Let's say that you're trying to decide uh, what to do on your holiday vacation, that week between Christmas and New Year's. And you've You've narrowed it down to two decisions. You're either going to go to Florida and lay on the beach, or you're going to go to the Rocky Mountains and go skiing. Okay? Go to Colorado, go skiing. So which is it? So is this a moral decision? That's no, not a moral decision. However, are there moral components to the decision? Oh, I think there are. Here, let, let, let's start with the topic of money. How are you going to pay for this vacation? 
Some of you say, well, we got a little bit of debt going, but no problem. We'll put this on our credit card. Well, that ought to raise a yellow flag because God's word is full of admonitions about avoiding debt. The kind of debt you get yourself further into when you pay exorbitant interest rates on a credit card. Or, or what about this while we're on the topic of money? The Bible has something to say about becoming generous people. The Bible wants us to be like God who, who loved us so much that he gave his son. The Bible wants us to be givers. If your decision for a vacation preempts you from being a giver. See, the Bible's baseline is first 10%. Called call a tithe, right off the top of your paycheck. You give it back to the Lord's work. But if spending money on yourself keeps you from becoming a giver, that's a moral component to your decision about what you do, do with vacation. You following me? So, let, let's say, let's pick another topic. Let's say you're dating. Whether you're young and single or you're middle-aged single again, you're, you're, you're dating. And there, there are two guys who've asked you out. There's, uh, there's Todd and there's Jason. So which guy do you go out with? See, is there a right and a wrong answer here? Well, a moral component? Let's say for the sake of argument that Todd is not a Christ follower. Uh, the Bible has something to say about that. It, it warns us against getting involved in a serious relationship with somebody who's not a follower of Jesus, someone with whom we don't share spiritual values. Yeah, furthermore, with respect to dating, the Bible says no physical intimacy before marriage. That's a moral command. Does the Bible speak to dating? Yeah, it does. Trying to help us avoid accidents, potholes in the road. Let's take something really simple. It's Friday night. I want to go to a movie. Do I go to this movie or that movie? Is there a right and a wrong answer? Well, if this movie over here, it's got nudity in it, then I need to call to mind Jesus' admonition that if we're prone to lust, it's best if we just rip out our eye and toss it aside. Guys, yeah, now granted that's hyperbole, but you get the message. Does God's word have something about, to say about the movies that, that I attend? Yeah, I think it does. So there are moral dimensions to many of our decisions. We need to stop and consider the Bible's warnings against sin. Now sometimes we'll wander into sin because we're just ignorant of what the Bible says. Uh, other times... Uh, we will just plunge into it out of a rebellious spirit. We know God says no, but we want to do yes. Here, here's a wonderful thing about the Bible. Even when we've fallen into sin, it continues to counsel us with regard to our decision, pointing out that we've just made a boneheaded sinful decision. You know, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I discovered the way the Bible works in this regard. Uh, I was a college student. I had uh, recently surrendered my life to Christ. I was beginning to read the Bible on a daily basis. And over the summer, I was working for three months in Amsterdam, Holland, in a youth hostel. And I had made some bad decisions over the course of the first several weeks there. And I had alienated other people on my work team. And uh, one day God made me aware of that and sort of humbled me and I had to go and apologize. And I'll never forget the response of my friend Bruce. He looked at me and he said, you know, Jim, I knew it was just a matter of time before God spoke to you about this because I see you reading your Bible every day. I thought, Le lesson learned. You know, the Bible not only prevents me from making foolish, sinful decisions, it also rebukes and corrects me when I've made sinful, foolish decisions. 
Now, this is what Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Sometimes this book just whacks me up the side of the head. It rebukes and corrects me and prevents me from making the same mistake again and again and again. How does the Bible inform our decision-making? Well, it produces wisdom in us. It prevents sin. Number three, it provides light. It provides light. Go back to Psalm 119. Drop down to verse 105. 105. Your word is a lamp. That's a word to underline. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light. Another word on my path. Drop down to verse 130. The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Now, in preparation for this sermon, I went online and I googled the question, how do people make decisions? Okay, how do people make decisions? And I came across an article by a guy named Dr. Daniel Kahneman. Uh, Dr. Kahneman is a professor uh, at Princeton University, and he happens to, uh, to have won a Nobel Prize for his work in how the brain how the brain functions as we're making decisions. And Dr. Kahneman says there's basically two systems that the brain uses. One is somewhat impulsive. It's the default position. You know, we, we, we use intuition, gut instinct, and we do this very quickly. We make a lot of, of decisions this way. He said, on the other hand, there is a rational part of our brain that wants to make a good, logical, deliberate decision. It's, it's a little slower process, but two major ways. He says, unfortunately, now listen to this, unfortunately, our brains are lazy. So we tend to go with automatic and fast rather than slow, deliberate, conscientious, and so on. And as a result, most of the decisions we make, he says, are impulsive rather than thoughtful. And I read that, and I thought to myself, that, that's not good news, is it? Most of our decisions are impulsive. We, we don't think of it that way, but they're, they're not carefully considered. They're not based upon good, solid principles. What does reading and studying and reflecting on the Bible do for us? It slows us down. It gives us principles upon which to make our decisions. The Bible provides light for our paths. In, in Old Testament times, whenever a new king took the throne of Israel, he was required at the beginning of his reign to perform a certain duty. That duty is described in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 and 19. Let me read it to you. It says, when he, when the new king, takes the throne of his kingdom, he's to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, okay, a copy of God's word. It is to be with him. He is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law. What a fantastic requirement for every new king. In fact, I think we should require it of every incoming president, don't you? Here's what you got to do, king. You got to sit down. You got to write out your own handmade copy of the Bible, the whole thing. 
And then you got to keep your handmade copy with you every day, and you got to read a little bit of it every day, and then whenever you're making a big decision, because, King, you got a lot of important decisions that are going to impact a lot of people. Whenever you're making a big decision, you got to go to God's Word. What does it say? What are the biblical principles? Now, this isn't just a good practice for a king. Think of the help it would be for every one of us to so familiarize ourselves with the Bible that we would know exactly what God says about any decision that we're considering. See, there are always, hear me, there are always biblical principles to weigh carefully whenever we're making a big decision. This is the flip side of the previous point. The the previous point said God's word will expose you to sin and so prevent you from making bad decisions. Now what we're learning is God's word will give you good principles so you'll make good decisions. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Let's say that you're offered a new job in Denver. Okay, should you take that job? Well, what does the Bible say about it? I guarantee you that the Bible has absolutely nothing to say about Denver, Colorado. Okay, that's where the job is. You know, it's not even in the book of hesitations, okay? It's not in the, it's not in the Bible. Now that, you know, the Bible says some wonderful things about mountains, okay, so maybe you can construe something from that about moving to Denver, but uh, even though the Bible doesn't address the job offer in Denver, you will find a bunch of biblical principles that will help you make your decision. I mean, there are principles that will prompt you to ask questions such as, well, what does my spouse think about this decision? Have I weighed his or her counsel? Okay, or, or with, this, with this decision to move, would it prove disruptive to the spiritual growth that I and my family are beginning to experience at Christ Community Church? Well, that's something to consider. You know, d- does this job allow time? Time for rest, time for friendships, time for a balanced life. How demanding is this job? Would this job make good use of my gifts and talents? Maximum use, is it a good fit? See, there's a biblical principle, there's a chapter and verse behind every question I just posed. So that even though the Bible doesn't explicitly say whether or not you should take that job in in Colorado, there are a bunch of decisions that will help you make a good, a bunch of principles that will help you make a good decision. So here's my counsel to you. When you're facing a big decision... Sit down with a blank piece of paper and a pen or a blank computer screen on your tablet or your your PC and ask yourself the question, what biblical principles that I know apply to this decision? What biblical principles? Now, this this is where that Bible-savvy journal is so helpful. Let me tell you why. In the Bible Savvy Journal, we teach you a four-step method of Bible study. Now, I'm not going to go through all four steps. It's C-O-M-A. We did an entire series earlier in the fall about this. But I want to park on the third step, the M of C-O-M-A. The M stands for message. And we've taught you every time you sit down and you read a Bible passage, you look for a message. You look for a life principle. Same, Same idea here, life principle. Behind the text, what's the life lesson God's teaching? And then you write it down in your journal. Now, let let me tell you what happens. You you do that once, and then you do it the next day with a new passage, and you do it the day after that, and you do it day after day after day. And what happens is you build up a bank account of biblical principles. 
And then one day you're offered a job in Denver, Colorado. And you say, what are the biblical principles that apply to this decision? And immediately, some of the principles that you've been storing up come to mind. Now, here's what happens if you never read the Bible. Here's, here's what happens if you don't write something down, if you don't identify what's the, what's the life principle here. You sit down with your blank sheet of paper, you sit down with your blank computer screen, and you say, well, I've been offered a job in Denver, Colorado. What are the biblical principles? You know what you're going to hear from God? Cricket, 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 nothing. You know, should I try out for the dance team? Cricket. You know, should we buy new furniture for the living room? Cricket, cricket. You know, what, what about, we're thinking about moving our kids from public school to private school. Should we make that? Cricket, cricket, cricket. No biblical principles upon which to found your decision. See, the Bible is a light for our path, but you got to pick it up and read it and daily digest it and apply it to your life and identify biblical principles. Again, you get it? Good, good. Here's a fourth thing the Bible does to, to guide us in our decision-making. It preserves life. It preserves life. Now, again, this is just another theme in Psalm 119. Pops up many times. Let me read just two instances of it. Drop down to verse 93. The psalmist says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. That's the line I want you to get, preserved my life. Drop down to verse 149. Preserve my life. There it is again. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your laws. So again and again in this psalm, God's word is given credit for preserving the psalmist's life. Now, I studied each of the references to preserve my life in this psalm because I realized it's suggesting that God's word protects us in some way. But what is it that God's word protects us from? Okay, in, in what way does the Bible preserve our lives? So, so I was able to identify three categories of you know, how the Bible protects us. Category number one, it protects us from bad decisions. Now that's what we've been talking about today. Second thing it protects us from in several instances in the Psalms, it protects us from our enemies. God's word preserves our lives from our enemies. So if you've got a troublesome person in your life who's making your life miserable now, whether it's a bad boss or an ex-spouse or a bully on the playground, God's word will give you wisdom for how to deal with that person. But here's a third thing that the Bible preserves our lives from. And I just want to read you a, a few verses and see if you could spot it for yourself. Okay, see if you, see if you could determine what is it God, God's word protects us from. Uh, first, verse 25. The psalmist says, I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. Verse 28 says, my soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Drop down to verse 116. Sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. What is it that the Bible will preserve our lives from? Call it out. Just you know, goes by several different words, names. What does it preserve our lives from? Okay, despair, discouragement, hopelessness, sorrow. 
Let me tie this into our theme of decision-making now. I don't know about you, but I often feel overwhelmed by the decisions in my life. You ever feel that way? You know, maybe right now you're facing a decision and there are no good options. You know, do you choose A, B, or C? Quite frankly, A, B, and C all stink, right? You're like, what do I choose? Or or perhaps you're worried about how others will respond. Like, I'll make a decision, but this is going to have ramifications, repercussions in other people's lives. Or you're looking at a decision and you're saying, this is so doggone complex. How How can I get my mind wrapped around this decision? Or you're facing such a multiplicity of decisions right now, like they're all coming at you at once, and there's a deadline for a couple of these. you got to decide by tomorrow night. You know, wouldn't it be great? Sometimes I think I should just flip a coin and go with heads or tails. In fact, as I was thinking about this, I I went online. I found out that there is actually a website called Coin Flipper, so you don't even have to have your own quarter. You just, you just, I, I'm, I'm not making this up. You just go to Coin Flipper and you touch your keypad and it, the coin flips and it comes heads or tails. Wouldn't that make it simple? You know, there, there, there are times when my wife spots a weariness in my, in my demeanor and she knows I'm weighed down with decisions, deci- decisions that come with leading a church the size of Christ Community Church. And she'll ask me, she'll say, are you doing Okay. And I say, you know, I'm just one good, quiet time away from being back on top of things. What I mean by quiet time, that's that's my reference to the time I spend every day in God's Word. You know, I I just need a cup of coffee and my Bible, and I need to sit and meditate on God's Word, and I know that the fog will lift. I know that the discouragement will pass. You know, some of you... In your jobs as a teacher, your job as a lawyer, a doctor, an Indian chief, whatever, overwhelmed by decisions, God's word frees us up from that discouragement, lifts us out of the pit, puts our feet in a broad place. Yeah. And this leads to the last way in which God's word helps us make decisions. It promotes peace. One of my favorite verses in Psalm 119 is verse 165. Turn there. 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. A love for the Bible promotes peace in my life, especially with regard to decision-making. Now, there, there are two different ways in which I experience this peace as I read Scripture. Okay, one of the ways I experience peace is that the Bible makes me wise, so I make wise decisions, all the stuff we've learned today. And when you make wise decisions, you have peace about them. But but there's there's another side to this peace that I experience as I spend time in God's Word. God's Word reminds me that God is sovereignly in control of my life. And even when I'm in the fog, even when I'm confused about what's the right decision, I know that God is still in control. This is is a wonderful truth to grab hold of. See, I don't want you to think that at the end of this series, turn by turn, you're going to know how to make every decision, and they're going to become simple and basic and straightforward and clear, and you'll never make a bad decision again. Not going to happen. In fact, there will be times when you'll spend time in prayer and you'll you'll spend time in God's word and you still can't decide, do do I go to college next year or do I skip a year, take a year off and work? 
There, there, there are going to be times when you're trying to decide, do I, you know, do I make this purchase or do I not make this purchase? And you just don't know. You know, do we get a cat or a dog or a goldfish or none of the above? Do, you know, do, do I go forward with this operation or do I just live with the condition? And it, at the end of the day, you can't come up with what's the right decision. And what's worse is sometimes you'll move ahead and based on what you think God is leading you to do, you'll make the best decision possible and it'll turn out not so good. So you'll buy the used car instead of the new car because you think biblically it's a good stewardship decision. And then the, the used car goes kaplooey on you. The transmission drops out. You're, well, what's with that? Or you decide after making this decision based on you know, biblical counsel and so on that you're going to major in biology and two years into it, you hate biology. Or you decide we're going to adopt a child into our home. That's a sound biblical principle and you've adopted the child and your house is crazy now. See, so you're asking yourself the question, what went wrong with my decision making? And I want to ask you, what, what makes you think something went wrong? So you do believe that God's bigger than all that? Do you, you believe, as Paul says in Romans 8, verse 28, that all things work together for the good of those who love him? That even when we can't see our way in the fog, even when we've got to make a decision and we make one and it turns out to be not so good, that God's got all that under control? Kevin DeYoung has written a wonderful book on this topic called Just Do Something. In fact, it's the book that both Clayton and I, throughout the course of the series, are going to recommend. And his advice is that sometimes we become paralyzed because we're so focused on wanting to make the exact right decision. We want to know exactly what God wants us to do. And sometimes we don't get that word. And he says, just do something. Just, and trust that God is sovereign, that God is in control of your life. Trust, you know, as you read the pages of Scripture, you not, not only come away with a bigger view of God, the God who runs the universe, he can certainly run your little life, can't he? Jesus, who loves you so much that he came to earth that first Christmas, he grew up to manhood and then gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins. And he now offers you new life. The risen Christ says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. This Jesus who loves you so much, you can have peace. As you, you read about this in God, God's word, that great peace have those who love God's word and nothing can make them stumble. You won't stumble as he's got your hand. Now, in, in just a, a moment, we're going to close with a, uh, with a song. We're going to go back to one of the songs we sang earlier in worship. Great is thy faithfulness. Just thought as Thanksgiving week approaches, it would be good to go out on that note, that reminder of how faithful God has been to us, how good he's been to us. Uh, I do want to say one word, though, for those of you who are prayerfully considering uh, participating in this Close the Gap, this year-end gift. And I, I want to just say, I hope this is a decision that you're making with God's help. Uh, those of you who have been blessed enormously in this area of financial resource, uh, you know, we could use your help in finishing out this next campaign so that we can accomplish everything that God's put before us to accomplish, some big goals. 
And then just on the, the general budget front, as I said a, a couple of weeks ago, because some of our giving has kind of shifted a little bit from general giving to the next campaign, you know, we're low on, on that area of the, uh, of the budget that covers all the daily expenses of staff and and uh, buildings and programs and so on and so we need your help so if you've not yet filled out that card i encourage you either fill it out today and drop it off uh, the offering's already been taken drop it off at the information counter or bring it with you in one of the upcoming weeks and start giving in a more generous way that god will bless as you take on his character of generosity now i'm going to pray and then i'm going to ask the campus pastors to say a closing word at each of their campuses, and then we're going to go out on the strains of great is thy faithfulness. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the practical way in which you care about the everyday concerns of our lives. And I'm just imagining there are all sorts of decisions represented by the people who are listening right now across our four campuses or listening online. And some of the decisions are heart-wrenching, and some of the decisions are confusing. And some of the decisions offer us a path of great joy. We're just not sure what the right path is. And so I pray that we would become people of your book. I pray that we would become so saturated with your word, making it a daily part of our lives, that we would become wise people who make wise decisions. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.